I see it as one of my <clears throat> duties of, of my calling as your pastor to teach and preach on the subject of stewardship. Stewardship is a word that signifies that everything, everything actually belongs to God, whether it's money, possessions, uh, real estate, or literally anything in this life the way we experience it. None of us are eligible to be owners. God is the only owner. We are stewards, caretakers, managers of what belongs to God. So as we talked about last week, greed and discontent and striving for more is one of the deep cancers of our society, capable of not only stealing our, our joy, but also killing our faith. It's when we pretend to be more than stewards that we get into this kind of trouble. But I also feel that we need to look at the subject of money and, and possessions and how we handle them from the perspective of what works in 2019. A perspective that makes sense and also is realistic. So I mentioned that stewardship is like is the ability to hold what God has given, not with closed fists like this, but more like this. We hold whatever it is we've been given with open hands, ready to give it back. So this morning, our purpose is to take this a step further and ask some honest questions about of the scriptures, to read this passage that speaks about stewardship, the one that we just heard, and ask questions like, what is God trying to say to me? What is God trying to say to us? What is it that God really wants? So in this text from the law revealed to Moses at Mount Sinai, we have this unique concept. First things given to God and first fruits offered. So verses 29 and 30, as we just heard them, put it this way. You shall not delay to make offerings from the fullness of your harvest, from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons shall be given to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and your sheep, and on it goes. So this first part in verse 29 actually, it's, it's really actually only four words in the original language in Hebrew, and they literally say this, your fullness and your flow, you shall not delay. It takes more words to say it in English. But in, if you could hear, if I could say it in Hebrew, it would just be those four words, your fullness and your flow, you shall not delay. God is asking for Offerings from the first of the bounty of the harvest, from, from literally the bumper crop, which is the fullness of what was grown in the fields, and from the drippings or the squeezings of the flow of the wine or the oil. So why all this emphasis on the first? And well, we see it here and we see it elsewhere in the Old Testament. If you were to turn to Deuteronomy 26, which is probably the most famous first fruits passage, it talks all about giving of the first fruits to the Lord and how to do it, how to give it to the temple and what you're supposed to do. From an agricultural perspective, which is a stretch for most of us because um, how many of us uh, are farmers here today? Not many, probably. So... Um, 
But it, you can picture this if you're thinking like a farmer. Let's say the crops look good this year. You have a bumper crop. It's a great year. There was good rain. Everything happened just right, and you have really wonderful crops. And therefore, it makes sense to get that first produce into the storage area because you never know what's going to happen, right? What if the weather turns before we get all the wheat into the barns or the grapes from the vine or the olives from their branches? What if the herd starts to get sick before the pregnant stock give birth? So it would make sense to tuck some away now, just in case. But God says, no. I want you to do it a different way. As an act of faith, I want the part that your self-preservation reflex says to hoard just in case. See, that's what's going on here. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher of another era, told a story about a farmer who went into the house one day to tell his wife and family some good news. The cow just gave birth to twin calves, one red and one white, he said. And then he continued, we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We will bring them up together, and when the time comes, we will sell one and keep the proceeds, and we will sell the other and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. Well, his wife asked him which one he was going to dedicate to the Lord. Oh, there's no need to bother about that now, he replied. We'll treat them both the same way, and when the time comes, we'll do as I say. A few days later, he entered the kitchen looking very unhappy. What happened? His wife asked I have bad news, he replied. The Lord's calf is dead. <laughs> Wait, said his wife. You didn't decide which calf was to be the Lord's. Yeah, he said, I decided it was the white one. And the white one died. The Lord's calf is dead. So his expansive statement about giving a calf to God only lasted as long as the calf did. Lloyd-Jones went on to ask the haunting question. Why is it that it's always the Lord's calf that dies? Exodus chapter 22 suggests that God is looking for a deeper commitment to stewardship than this. He says, you shall not delay to make offerings from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. So, what does this do? Well, for one thing, it reminds the farmer who owns the harvest. Remember last week? The picture of the open hands is a way to remember that we are managers of what God's own, God owns. So, so giving to God first rather than keeping for yourself first is a, is a great way to remember that. But it also counteracts our human tendencies to play it safe. I remember that Several years ago now, Dr. Jim Fletcher shared on a Sunday morning about his love of extreme sports. 
compared to that of ex the extreme fun, as he said, of giving back to God what he's given to us. <laughs> he, here's the deal. It is risky and dangerous to give God the first fruits. But it's also the key to a kind of joy those who play it safe will never experience. In our own experience, me and Chris and our family, the truth of the matter is that in the long run, it's actually ultimately more dangerous and less fun to wait to, in giving to God. As you might imagine, there were some very lean years for the Masons, especially in our Seattle years, on a youth and music pastor's salary and a very part-time choir director's salary while trying to keep three kids fed, clothed, and in music lessons. So to be truthful, there were months where, uh, for one reason or another, we waited to give our tithe because we wanted to make sure that we could make the rent payment and, and pay for food. Looking back, I can tell you those were the months where things didn't turn out well. We tended to run out of money. There were emergencies that overshadowed our meager resources and the end result during those months was that it just stole our joy. We were anxious all month long. We were worried and, to be honest, a little resentful at times. But in those months when the tithe check was the first one written all month long, there seemed to be enough. And now, I've heard many explanations of this phenomenon, but, but none that measures up to the reality that it just happens this way. I really don't have an explanation. It just happens. The risk of giving to God first and not delaying resulted in a blessing. It was fantastic. So, speaking of blessings... I think one of the blessings of living in the age of online banking is that this is actually really easy to do now. And I, I got to tell you that this has been, I mean, this is just one of those things about living in, you know, 2019 and trying to make first fruits work that I've been wanting to share with you is it's been kind of a game changer for us to be, to be able to go online and be able to say, I'm going to write this check. The bank's going to send this check to the church the first of the month, and I don't have to remember, I don't have to worry about it. It happens right concurrently with when we get paid, and it's done. And it's a joy to know that, is, that it has happened. Now, part of the deal is it's, there's one loss in that um, we can't put the, uh, the check into the plate on Sunday morning. So... I, I have often, like, you know, asked Rachel to tell me when that check comes, when my check comes. So I walk it down the hall and sing, um, praise God from whom all blessings flow us. I'm coming down the hall and I put, it, I put it in the safe. But anyway, but it is a joy to know that it's taken care of. And it's, 
it's done, and the first fruits have been given. Well, I'd like to look again at this text, and again, like last week, we see this is a life principle which translates into other spheres of life. For example, look at verse 29, the second part. The firstborn of your sons you shall give me. God is asking here for more than a bumper crop and squeezing offerings. He's asking, he's saying, give your first child too. Now, before we get concerned that God is suggesting child sacrifice here, I'm thinking especially of you with firstborn sons, or especially those of you who are firstborn sons. <laughs> we need to notice that Israel never had a history of sacrificing humans in any way other than in the Romans 12, one sense of uh, offering your body as a living sacrifice, as the Apostle Paul says. But even Abraham's experience with Isaac, you know this story about Abraham being offered, asked to offer Isaac as an offering. This was, um, which actually never even happened, right? Because God stopped him before he did. But this was actually likely a statement partly to show how Yahweh, the Lord, was different from the other gods. They required child sacrifice. Yahweh was much more interested in obedience than a senseless loss of, of the gift of human life. So this giving of the firstborn in verse 29 was always interpreted to mean the giving of a son for service to God, to be especially consecrated by God. But how does this concept of offering a child into the service of God translate into 2019, now that we're in the Christian era when we no longer have the complicated Levitical system of priests and offerings and that kind of thing? Here's a possibility. God was asking Moses and the Israelites to give a first fruit offering to remember who held the title to everything. There's nothing like giving a child first to remind you of this. It's the, an act of giving that cuts through the uh, baloney of our words and our good intentions to true stewardship. So folks, in, in giving, in stewardship, Commitment. There is no limit to what belongs to God. Pastor and author Juan Carlos Ortiz shares this scenario. And I quote So when a person finds Jesus, it costs them everything. Jesus has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, eternity. A person marvels at such a pearl and says, I want this pearl. How much does it cost? And the seller says, it's too dear. It's too costly. But how much? Well, it's very expensive. Do you think I could buy it? It costs everything you have. No more, no less. So anybody can buy it. I'll buy it. What do you have? Let's write it down. I have $10,000 in the bank. 
Good. $10,000. What else? I have nothing more. That's all I have. Have you nothing more? Well, I have some dollars here in my pocket. How many? I'll see. 30, 40, 50, 80, 100, 120, 120 dollars. That's fine. What else do you have? I have nothing else. That's all. Where do you live? I live in my house. The house too. Then you mean I must live in the garage? Have you a garage too? That too. What else? Do you mean I must live in my car then? Have you a car? I have two. Both become mine. Both cars. What else? Well, you have my house, the garage, the cars, the money, everything. What else? Are you alone in the world? No, I have a wife and two children. Your wife and children, too. Two? Yes, everything. Everything you have. What else? I have nothing else. I'm left alone now. Oh, you, too. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, everything. And you too. Now you can use all those things here. But don't forget, they are mine, as you are. And when I need any of these things you're using, you must give them to me because now I am the owner. End of quote. For most of us, this would involve a major shift in our thinking. But if you dare, if you dare to begin to see life this way, the giving of your first fruits will be a joy, not a burden. In fact, it might turn into something like gratitude which would be a good thing, especially this week. Let's pray.